Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 5 in Lectionary Year A. Today we are starting a new series, a brief one, uh, but a good one in this lectionary year, linked together by the theme, The Holy Ministry. You can read more about it in the Foundation Resources. There you'll find short summaries of the series itself and each Sunday uh, that you can use for your congregation in various ways. Just to summarize, in this series, we're thinking about how the Lord keeps calling people into his service. Through his ministers, his servants, Jesus is carrying out his work of proclaiming the gospel. And it is a holy ministry, um, of course, because the Holy Spirit is at work through it, cleansing each minister, enabling them to serve, and then through the gospel they bring, doing his sanctifying work as he forgives sinners and makes them children of God. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, uh, privileged to be moderating. Uh, Let's meet our preachers for this Sunday and this short series. You might have met them last week if you listened to the previous episode on Holy Trinity Sunday, but we've got with us Pastor Peter Schlicht from Eastside Lutheran Church in Madison, Wisconsin and Pastor Philip Moldenhauer from Our Redeemer Lutheran Church, also in Madison. And also with us today is Professor Brad Wardell from the seminary. Good to be with you all today. Um, Let's start with you, Peter. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, and as preachers can see in the foundation resources, we're starting a short series today called The Holy Ministry. Could you just say a little bit about the theme of this first week of the series? Sure, and uh, thanks again for having me on the podcast. It is uh, a, truly a privilege. Uh, so looking at the, the specific theme for this Sunday, the holy ministry is filled with sinners called by God. You have a, a perfect example of that in all the readings, but certainly here um, as we think about um, Moses in the reading today, um, the, whether it's Moses or whether it's Matthew, whether it's Paul, they all had a past uh, that was not so pretty. And uh, for as many times as we think about them as the, the saints of old, um, they never forgot their, their past. Uh, Moses, who, who kills a man, Paul, um, who persecuted the church of God, um, overseeing the persecution of Stephen, we think of today, uh, Stephen, who talks about Moses, um, interestingly, and Matthew, uh, the tax collector, the sort of uh, traitor of his own people. Uh, but God is able to forget their past pasts. He forgives their sins and calls them into gospel ministry. And the same thing is true today. God calls people like me, sinful men, um, out of his boundless mercy and gives me the privilege of serving his people. And I think this is kind of a special uh, Sunday for us as we prepare um, for Sunday, uh, certainly a week to take the word to heart as preachers and as pastors to think about um, the privilege we have and what it means for us to speak about the privilege of the ministry from the pulpit. Thank you. Yeah, Peter, uh, uh, excuse me, Paul, uh, Matthew, Moses, and each one of us to uh, in the same boat, uh, sinners called by grace, called by God to proclaim his message. Uh, Phil Moldenhauer, let's go to you next. Today, we're going to focus on the first reading as our sermon text. Could you give us a quick synopsis of the gospel and the second reading, just a reminder of what they are and how they're connected. Yeah, and the the first reading is a good choice, especially to focus on the call into the holy ministry. The gospel is the calling of Matthew, and it's, I guess, it's worth saying that it's not explicitly made clear in Matthew 9, 9 to 13, 
which is the appointed gospel, that this is necessarily a call into the ministry. That'll come a few verses later in Matthew 9, where Matthew is named among the 12. And uh, the gospel, however, does have this really strong flavor of, of Jesus coming and associating with tax collectors and sinners. Of course, there are no other kinds of people than sinners. And so uh, even the ministers whom he's going to call are, are among those. It's, uh, the account is recorded in uh, Mark, Mark chapter 2, I believe, and in Luke, um, the same calling. It ends with this objection from the Pharisees, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And that, uh, just think about the way that that's repeated in St. Luke's gospel, and it actually leads into the three parables of the lost in chapter 15. So, so just a little bit of a more, I think the gospel is a little more generally focused on, on uh, Jesus, uh, how he calls sinners in general. Um, but I think that ties in well with the theme on the holy ministry, as especially as we turn to the second reading from First Timothy 1, where Paul uh, he talks about, uh, first, let's see, it's First Timothy 1, 12 to 17, Paul talks about how he he was the uh, chief of sinners, right? Uh, and, and that yet he was called to not only to uh, faith in Christ, but also to this position of ministry. And he uses the word of as an example, that I might be an example for those who are to believe. And I think that's a, that's a good thing to pull out here. I think probably in our discussion, we'll, we'll talk about and wrestle a little with how pastors preach about our own vocation and the challenge there. Um, I think uh, maybe this is, is just a good thing to note there, that kind of the flavor of being an example. Um, and that includes also as an, uh, each of us as an example, um, not only in our, in our virtues, but also in the need for grace that each of us has as sinners called to serve other sinners. Thank you for those summaries. Uh, Brad, let's then get into the sermon text, Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Um, the, uh, I would invite you to say all you want to say about this text, but uh, we have only so much time. I think we need many, many hours to cover everything. But could you just highlight for us some things uh, that might be especially pertinent to preachers as they think about God calling sinners into his service? Yeah, thank you. Where, where to start with a text like this? It's such an amazing part of God's word, and there are many directions you can go as you teach, appropriate, and apply this part of God's word to God's people today. I think the temptation might be to latch on to verse 14 and then emphasize the meaning of the tetragrammaton and talk about God's absolute being and his attributes in a relatively recent Wisconsin Lutheran Quarterly article on the meaning of verse 14, Professor Ken Cherney argues that this approach really misses the point of the Lord's response to Moses's objection. I think Professor Cherney is right about that. And if you are preaching on this text, I would strongly encourage you to read that nine-page article in the Quarterly. I think it's the, the fall edition of 2018. So what is it that these verses in Exodus 3 are all about? Well, this text is part of a call commissioning narrative. Yeah, that's a thing. And there are many of them in the Old Testament. And there's a pattern in these narratives. There's always an encounter with God. There's a command from God to go and do something or say something. There's often an objection from the person being called 
And then God gives verbal assurance and often also a sign that gives added assurance for the person being called. And when you look at the call commissioning narratives for Moses, Gideon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, or even the apostles in Luke chapter 5, you see the elements of a call commissioning narrative present, sometimes in a little different order or in certainly in varying degrees. This call commissioning narrative in Exodus chapter 3 is part of a larger narrative. It goes all the way into chapter four, all the way to verse 18. And the most outstanding characteristic of Moses's call commissioning is how often and how strongly Moses objects. Uh, clearly, Moses does not want to go on this mission from God. He objects five times. He tests the patience of God. And by the end, God is angry. Now, we don't get to that anger of God in our text for today. We only have a part of the narrative. We hear about the miraculous encounter with God in verses 1 through 6, uh, the burning bush. And we have the commissioning itself in verses 7 through 10, go to Egypt, talk to Pharaoh, lead my people out. And then we get the start of Moses's objections and God's answers to those objections. Maybe if you would just permit one final comment, this call commissioning narrative is part of a much bigger narrative. God is rescuing his people out of Egypt uh, so that they can be his people and serve as his people, and God is sending Moses for the benefit of his people in spite of his imperfections and in spite of his unwillingness, at least at first. Yeah, thank you for that that last bit of perspective. I think that will help us as we think about uh, gospel emphases in uh, this a sermon based on this text. That um, there is gospel not only for the one being called, though that's certainly a part of this, but also uh, gospel for the one uh, for whom uh, that person is being called, um, and God wanting to reach out to them as well. Well, let's maybe think it in those terms a little bit about uh, proclaiming law and gospel uh, in this text, um, malady, cure uh, type of ideas, um, uh, as we apply that to our people and our listeners. Um, what do you see uh, as a malady here? Um, and maybe you're noting five objections of Moses has something to do with it. Uh, uh, Brad, would you like to respond to that first and then I'll open it up to, uh, to Phil and, and Peter? Yeah, I think that is certainly a malady we might preach on is that as Christians in our calling as Christians, but then also when we think about the call to public ministry, we can come up with many excuses about why I'm not qualified to do this and I can't do this and I don't want to do this. And I think a part of the malady is that we as sinful human beings uh, have a natural inclination not to want to do what God wants us to do. Yeah, further thoughts on malady, I think, are, are additional uh, ways you could, could preach the law from this text, um, Phil or Peter, your thoughts on that? Go ahead, Peter. I think uh, that the... Uh, from the context around there, the sort of interesting how 
God is really kind of absent in the first two chapters of Exodus. And then right at the end of chapter two, he comes and says, um, you know, the name Elohim quite a few times in just a few verses. And that last one kind of ends with, and God knew, and it sort of uh, hangs there because Yadah is usually transitive, but there's no, it's objectless. So that God knows and God knows what's going on. And sometimes I feel perhaps the malady could come as in, um, why isn't God present with us, right? He just gave us this pastor. He doesn't give us any means to do anything with or, you know, where's our Moses, so to speak. Um, and kind of going from that route is God has given us um, himself in his word through his servants and the means of grace. Um, that route. I, I really like what you said there, Peter, you know, at the end there, that really is significant. God knows what is going on. He knows everything. Everything he's going to carry out is, is a part of his eternal plan of salvation for the whole world. And Moses' second objection, when he says, what is your name? What if they ask me for your name? How am I going to explain your name? Almost seems to be uh, the objection, well, I don't know everything. And how can I go and be your servant if I don't know everything? And God's answer is, I will be who I will be. Now get going. I'll show you who, I'm, who I am. They will learn who I am as you continue to carry out my plan of salvation, as I carry it out through you. And so it's a word of, of, of reassurance. I will be with you and get going because you'll find out who I am. You don't have to know everything before you go and do my work. Is there also uh, something we could say about the personal history of Moses extending back into chapter two a little bit um, in, in terms of malady? Uh, Phil, either to that point or to a different point. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, our, our ideas for the uh, great glorious days of life in the church are not God's ideas and God's ideas of what it, uh, you know, what it takes to to serve in the gospel ministry are not always our ideas either. And it's only after Moses has tried kind of the theology of glory route and murdering the Egyptian mm -hmm. uh, that he's humbled so thoroughly and sent out into the wilderness to be this uh, lowly shepherd. And then from, from uh, this kind of like long time of, of exile, so to speak for Moses personally, all of a sudden this comes, this is God's plan as he knows, as Peter emphasized as he knows, and as he has, uh, this desire to deliver the people and one big important part of his plan to deliver the people is the the one he's calling to lead them moses not always our ideas of of um how the the life of the church is going to best function but god's ideas turn on end i guess Right. Yeah. You, you mentioned the theology of glory. I think that is part of the story using Luther's terminology in, in chapter two there. What, what does Moses want? What does Moses expect? Uh, how does he think he has to bring it about um, through his own decisions and his own actions? And then how spectacularly that, that fails uh, and he is humbled. Um, well, in response to those malady thoughts, uh, what about uh, particular gospel emphases that you would um, use to address those ideas there for preachers? Um, and Brad has mentioned a couple already, but uh, additional ones. Uh, Phil, back to you. Yeah, I, I mean, God's assurance to Moses, I will be with you, I think is, mm -hmm. is such a great comfort for uh, pastors. And that there is this great comfort in the call. 
that God um, is the one who not only is is with us, but also sending us. I know that that phrase keeps coming up. I will send you. Uh, Moses is concerned. How will they know that that I'm actually you know that you actually sent me? And God says, um, "Tell them, you know, I sent you." And I think I think that's consolation both for pastors as well as for the congregation that that we can take this comfort in the in the call that says this wasn't just mere human arrangement, but our God Himself is at work here. Great thoughts. Uh, Peter, did you uh, have some thoughts here for Mal, or excuse me, for gospel emphases? Yeah. So I guess picking up with the, the malady, I suggested um, if you're going with kind of this not knowing what God is up to or wondering if he's absent um, in three verse seven, you have those um, I have seen, I have heard and for I know. And that kind of calls back to that. And then I will be with you. And then as Professor Wardell brought out nicely to Moses, um, who am I to lead these people is entirely the wrong question. And God says, who am I? You know, you should be focused on who I am. And I still, I think that um, this beautiful malady of God not only knows, um, but in response, he calls and he equips. Um, is a, mm-hmm. There's a lot of God. I mean, there's so much gospel here. It's, it's a beautiful section. Yeah. Yeah. Brett? I think another way to really connect this text to the gospel is to see as the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10, that this deliverance out of Egypt is really giving us the paradigm of, of God's way of saving. Uh, you know, the Egyptians are going to be led out under Moses, but they're not going to do any fighting. God's going to do everything for them. He's going to lead them through through the Red Sea, which parts for them, and he's going to lead them to Mount Sinai, and he's going to make a covenant with them, and he's going to be with them all throughout the, the desert journey, and then ultimately lead them into the promised land. And, and this is the story of our salvation, accomplished not by Moses, but by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been baptized into him. We have also uh, gone through the waters, so to speak, of baptism and we've been united to Christ, and, and he is the one who accompanies us on our journey through life, and he is the one who leads us into the promised land. This salvation story of being led out of Egypt is part of God's grand salvation story accomplished through his eternal son, our Savior. So connecting uh, this to the larger uh, plan of salvation and preaching the gospel on that basis. Good idea. Uh, Phil? Yeah, and in conjunction with that to see, it's not that, I mean, God certainly could have arranged things in another way. He doesn't really need ministers or any of us to do any of this work. Um, and yet this is part of his plan that Moses, I mean, he really brings it out in, in um, the verses where he says, I, I will deliver the people, but basically it's through you, right? I'm going to find that. Yeah. Who am I that I should go? I will be with you. Um, you will bring, you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he lays this responsibility on Moses, even though ultimately nothing rests on, on Moses. I guess it's, it's uh, what I'm talking about here is probably what, what would we term it? The ministerial cause of salvation that uh, is not unimportant. And it's kind of coming into focus here Mm -hmm. that even though God didn't need to arrange and design it this way is for our great benefit and blessing that he chooses to entrust the, the work of salvation to uh, sinful human beings. And that, that um, baptizing that you're talking about, again, is done by a pastor's hand. And that's, uh, it's not because the pastor is special or has indelible character or anything like that. He's a sinner, just like anybody else. But in God's great design of salvation, he selects some men to serve in this, this role of um, being the one, the shepherd of, of the people 
and uh, through them, he brings this deliverance to his people. Yeah, great, great thoughts. Also, uh, Peter, another one. Yeah, so at, and kind of along the same lines here with verse verse eight, he's kind of a cool picture of the gospel. I have come down to rescue them out of the hand of Egypt and then to bring them up to a land. And I think that's, you know, the unique picture of the gospel in Christianity, right? The God who comes down to bring us up. Um, not that we need to raise ourselves up, but that also, again, as Phil brought out, right, how did God come down? Well, Moses was the mediator, the go-between, and obviously the picture of Christ there is even stronger, but a very special way that God um, in a clay jar decides to come down with his word and with his uh, sacraments through through us. Nice connection there. Yeah, so certainly it, it is God's work. Um and to his glory, but God is choosing to do his work through forgiven sinners, um, such as Moses, Paul, Matthew, um, and the rest. Um, could I ask a question about how you deal in a text like this with um, some thoughts for application? Um, do you focus on the, uh, the public ministry of the gospel here? Um, do you make any applications to Christians generally? Um, what uh, thoughts do you have as you work with a text like this? Uh, do you stay focused on the, the public ministry and Moses' call into that and uh, helping people to uh, view that um, as God's gracious working, as he chooses to carry out uh, his message into the world through these vessels that he calls? Um, or do you make applications to you know, seeing this in the life of uh, Christians and their other vocations as well? Any thoughts there for preachers as they wrestle with this text? Uh, Peter? I think first and foremost that it's a, you know, it's a good thing that Moses is aware of his inadequacy when he is called by God. Although his protesting does become too much it, to start out with, it is, it is good that we are aware of his past of his sin, and then of the way that God's glory shines through him. So in all of this, as we're kind of conscious of being preachers, talking to people about pastors, mm -hmm. uh, and as we are also serving these people, to be very clear about the fact that it's okay that we're inadequate. Mm -hmm. Good thoughts, yeah. And uh, continuing with that or, or something additional, Phil? Yeah, I think I think that, so there's their, there is a little bit of a challenge or a tension here when we're talking about our own vocation. You don't, you don't want to step into the pulpit and be uh, perceived as if you're attempting to justify whatever you're doing, you know, anything like that. But I think, I think we're, I think our people need that instruction. Like who else, but pastors, who else is going to teach our people about the benefit and blessing of God's design within the church. And, and his design includes, of course, the, the, the office of the ministry. So I think that um, we might be tempted to generalize out of this kind of idea of like trying to, to be humble or, or coming off in, in terms of humility. And I guess I would go out on a limb here and say, keep it focused on the Moses call into the ministry and uh, yeah, do pe God's people a service by not just uh, kind of veering off and making this, this general application, but saying, no, that this is a, this is God's design and it's his his order, and it's for your blessing. I will come down, but you, Moses, go. <laughs> you know, I think that's a that's a neat design uh, or a, a neat a neat connection in this text. And then uh, again, to pull that second reading back in, where Saint Paul says, 
you know, ministers are they they're this example that um we God's people should see God's grace in in a pastor as well. And maybe this provides an opportunity where the law isn't aimed out from the pulpit at the people so much as maybe some of the arrows come right back to the pulpit itself. And you you um bring to light how, yeah, pastors also. We come up with these objections, these reasons, uh, this sometimes this laziness that keeps us from doing what we're supposed to do. Um, uh, and, and our people, I mean, they, they also, you know, they're affected by our good moments, but they also see us in our not so good moments. And um, so let's all rejoice together in, in God's grace and the fact that it calls, it, it covers all of us, those who are called into the office and the ministry, as well as those who are, are in the pews. But yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, Brad. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to confess before our people that we are clay jars, that we are sinful, and to make that appeal to our congregation. Please, please uh, bear patiently with me. Please support me. Please pray for me as I seek to serve as your shepherd under Christ. So I think that all of the members of the church are involved in the ministry of the keys individually, but also through their support of their pastor. And then I think too, that this text lends itself well to, to recruitment for, for future workers in the church. Certainly the young people uh, who are listening to us preach have some of the same weaknesses, some of the same imperfections, some of the same hesitations, maybe some of the doubts uh, that Moses had. And, and as we hear God overcome those weaknesses and objections and talk about who he is, uh, that's going to bring a, a lot of comfort to the people who, who are hearing us preach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for those. Uh, I think that'll help preachers as they uh, yeah, wrestle with this. It is somewhat awkward, right, to stand up and say, let's I'm a pastor talking about myself and other pastors. But right, I think you've uh, helped put that in perspective. The focus is on God and his gracious working among his people. And part of that is working through uh, those whom he calls to proclaim his word, administer his sacraments uh, for the good of his church, for the extension of his kingdom. Um, that's God's grace in action too. But I appreciate all your comments. Yeah. Kind of helping with that. Uh, Peter. Yeah. I think uh, that there is sometimes a hesitation to talk about what it means to be a pastor, but who better to speak about it than a pastor? And I also think that maybe the role of a pastor and the privilege of the ministry isn't something that we get a chance to speak about with our members in a broad way very often. So this is a, a unique opportunity and a, a special opportunity for us to show the joy that we have in being called shepherds. And I think uh, even, you know, Sometimes I, David's known as a shepherd king, but Moses spent 40 years doing it. And, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, that aspect of that aspect of his ministry would be very important and, and knowing the train and everything. I'm kind of getting off topic here, but what a blessing it is to be called as shepherds over God's people. And then to explain that joy and that the challenges, um, I think there might be room for a correct amount of vulnerability in the sermon as well um, without without getting uh, too too personal. Sure, sure. Phil? Yeah, and on that note, I mean, this is something that comes to mind just thinking about the theme that's been set for this this Sunday is 
we probably don't want to overdo the whole sinner thing, yeah. you know, like I'm just thinking about those pastors who like, you know, they roll up their sleeves. So you see the tattoos. So everybody knows that they have a past, you know, we don't, we don't need to do that. Um, and I think it's always like the pastor should always weigh very carefully any words that he says about, about the congregation or his work with the congregation. You know, like um, I always just think if you, uh, you know, if you're telling stories about your, your past congregation, you're communicating to your current congregation that they will be sermon fodder when you move on and they're not <laughs> going to come to you, you know, they're going to be afraid of that, you know? So you always want to be careful about that. But I think Peter's right. The appropriate kind of vulnerability doesn't mean uh, s- describing a situation where everybody knows you blew it, <laughs> but maybe speaking in the more general terms or, or um, leaning on the text here and, and using uh, Moses, his objections and and um, kind of just, you know, bring, contemporizing them, bringing them into the present day, I think is, is very appropriate. Um, and I think is also very helpful. It will, it's a good way to, I think also to, to, um, to make very clear that, that um, we're not, pastors are not the special cast who is holier than anybody else. Again, we're, um, Christ comes to dine with tax collectors and sinners. And we, we both stand beneath the cross, even though we have these different vocations to, to do so. Right. Good advice there. Good guidance. Um, uh, any ideas for uh, structuring a sermon or theme ideas uh, that you're thinking about? Um, are you focusing on, uh, yeah, uh, how do you express kind of what we've been discussing in, in a succinct way or narrow it down to a, a, a more definite purpose? Uh, Phil, some ideas? Just a kind of a two-part, and I don't know that these are the exact words I would use, but again, leaning on, I will deliver you God's words, and and you will go and bring my people out. So there's um, God's action, and yet it comes through this ministerial cause of Moses. You will be the one to lead my people out as I deliver them. I think that could be a, it could be a good way to, to um, cast this text in a, in a way that keeps our attention on on God's salvation. And yet, doesn't completely like ignore or overlook the the holy ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good suggestions, uh, Brad. I don't know that I've ever preached on this text, but as I was giving thought to this, I thought maybe the last part of verse fourteen, "I am has sent me to you," that that could be a theme, and I could see where you could apply that. Uh, part one would be Moses, and Mar- Moses certainly could say that. And then our Savior, Jesus, certainly could say that. In fact, he is the great I am, sent by the Father to be our Savior. And then part three could be about called ministers today. They also can stand before their people because of God's amazing grace and because of God's ways of doing things and say that that I am has sent me to be a blessing to you as a, as a shepherd under Christ. Okay. Thank you for those suggestions. Uh, Peter? Yeah, I mine is kind of what Phil's, although I do really like that sort of paradox of bringing out those two. Maybe I like Phil's better than my own now, but um, mine is because the Lord knows, he calls. And I think that's, that's textual. And you get the, the hint of the tetragrammaton in there. You get to talk about yada and that whole aspect of knowing it kind of the history. And then he calls to focus on the ministry specifically. Yeah. He knows each one he calls. And in spite of uh, knowing all our sins and weaknesses, he calls. And, and he knows what he 
can and will accomplish through those whom he calls, right? Um, good. Uh, just an additional thought, Phil, you mentioned, yeah, just being careful with how much transparency to offer about your own sins and failings. And yeah, I think that's good advice. I suppose it, it depends on your relationship with your congregation, how well you know them, how well they know you, how, you know, how even things like, uh, yeah, how many visitors do you typically get at a service uh, that you might, you know, uh, those who have known you for 20 years might not be shocked by anything you t confess from the pulpit, but the first time visitor might, uh, or might, might be vice versa, might, might, uh, someone coming in might appreciate a lot of transparency. Uh, you just never know. But yeah, I think just be judicious as we uh, talk about our own weaknesses is, is good advice. Uh, Peter? Yeah, I just wanted to share what a, a wiser, uh, more experienced pastor once told me was he said, if you're not sure if you should use the story, don't. I think that's pretty good <laughs> advice. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just being cautious, I think, is is wise. Phil? I mean, if is it fair to say if there's a pendulum there was a time when it was very much the hair pastor set apart from the people. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that pendulum has it maybe in broader Christendom or broader American Christianity, that pendulum has swung very far in the other direction where it's like, we're all, you know, we're all, there's no distinction whatsoever between uh, the ministry and the laity. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to go all the way back to this kind of on the pedestal. Um, I think it's very appropriate to, to say, yes, I also uh, receive God's grace daily and fail and struggle awful often, but I don't, you know, again, we don't need to play it up as if I'm just ordinary Joe. God is, God has a, a reason why he sends people and places them in the office. And this is part of his design for his salvation. So I, that's, I guess that's my thought on that. Mm -hmm. And I suppose, I, I mean, in that regard, I really, I think I appreciate the, the, uh, these three Sundays that are devoted to this topic, because I guess my sense is for quite a while in, in our own synod, the, uh, the time when the ministry really was talked about was probably only at installations or ordinations. And I'm not sure that it always came out um, nicely as it is here in the lectionary where it's not like, it's not like a kind of a special or forced occasion, something like that, just right. naturally in the flow of the lectionary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another occasion is maybe when a congregation is calling, right. Which does happen in our, at least in, in, when this is being recorded quite frequently. Uh, but um, not everybody's there at the call meeting or the pre-call meeting and, and uh, to hear the, a, a good devotion and explanation. So yeah, these opportunities um, are very much appreciated when from the pulpit we can, on the basis of a beautiful section like this, talk a little bit about the public ministry uh, and God's gracious working through it. Uh, well, let's wrap up there. Uh, preachers, God bless you as you um, work with uh, the richness of this text as you appreciate God's grace in your own life and in your own ministry, and as you proclaim that grace to your people. The Lord bless you as you do that.